Listen to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Pat Grant. Uh, Pat's latest book is Blue, a kind of co uh, self published slash published by uh, Top Shelf. Um, I guess Pat did the Australian side and Top Shelf did the uh, US Canadian side. Um, this came out, I guess, earlier this year. A fine yeah, collection. Yeah, I think it was May, May, no March, March two thousand and twelve. It was. And you did. Well, I just a... cut you off there, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. So you just uh, got back, uh, I guess, about a month and a half ago from doing a road trip uh, to promote the book. Tell me about that. Where you got some of your fellow Australian yeah, readers? Yeah, well, well, we. We start the the idea for it came out of a residency we did at uh, the National Gallery of Victoria, which is a bit of a, a big deal in in Melbourne. And it was like a, a group of cartoonists. I think there were eight of us. Were just sort of like um, like zoo animals in this this glass cube in in Federation Square in Melbourne. And we kind of had fun. We were just sort of sitting there working on our projects. And we kind of had fun. And we decided that. Uh, we might we might try and um, get out on the road together, and so and then a whole bunch of other people joined in, and we we kind of we got this idea to do like the caravan of comics. I think that you know the idea came from um, some stuff some other people had been doing. I remember like Liz Bailey, is that her name? Bailey. Yeah. yeah, I remember she had done one years ago now, and I thought that would be the coolest fun. So yeah, we. Uh, we we went we got on board and we did like a we did like a twelve it was like twelve days of like solid touring where we didn't have a second to spare and we started at Mocha and Mocha were um, generous enough to give us you know three tables three big tables in a row and then um, and then we went up to Center for Cartoon Studies for a, and did a guest guest lecture there and hung out. On their final day of uh, the year, which was really fun. Oh wow! So you got to be yeah. there for the ceremony and stuff. Uh, no, I don't think it was ceremony day. It was just the last, the the day that the assignments were all due. So everyone was uh, stapling and photocopying. No, they were all so chilled. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> they all looked, they all looked like they were well fed and well slept, and you know, um, yeah, it was really, it was really amazing. And then, but we all, you know, there was lots of. Uh, we all went to the pub after the after the talk, and after that we uh we went up to TCAF, and that was amazing, um, as we expected. And TCAF, yeah, the TCAF guys were really really supportive of us as well. 
And then we uh, went and did a we went and joined a like a, a, a like a collective of cartoonists in Ann Arbor and in and did a just I just hung out and drank coffee and drew for for an evening. And then we went to did a Chicago and did an event at Quimby's and that was like the the end of it. That was the finish up. And when we were, it was amazing. When we got to Quimby's um Jeremy Tinder rocks up with like two hundred dollars that uh, Annie Kiyama had given us, and um, and took us all out for drinks. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds like Annie. Yeah, you know, she, 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 she we had met her at, at TK, and uh, and you know that was, that was just the best thing. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we we went, we went out for drinks, and yeah, it was it was good. It was a pretty it was a pretty cool thing. The the tour. And then I and then I went off, you know, got the got the train across the the continent with my with my sweetheart, and uh, got married in San Francisco and hung out with some uh, cartoonists in, that I know in uh, Utah and on the West Coast. Yeah, it was really fun. Congrats. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it was a crazy wedding. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was a good old fashioned elopement, which is which is. My kind of thing. It was like an English period drama. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Downton Abbey lately. Oh, yeah, so. so it was exactly like what what um, Sybil and the the hot Irish guy. Uh, hey, 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 hey! Spoilers. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, well, now I know that... something that's coming up. <laughs> well, that that whole show is just a um, is just a framework for Maggie Smith one-liners. I know. <laughs> I saw. I saw. Um, Kate Beaton tweeted this morning. I hope season three is just a, a Maggie Smith biopic sort of, <laughs> a biopic of of Maggie Smith's character. I I think my favorite thing about the show is like, people will have like some kind of like, introspective thought and c- confusion over some kind of love thing, and they'll all have the same look on their face, and then the music comes in. Yeah. <laughs> and it's always like this exact same way of doing it. Yeah, it's pretty. Um, it's 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 pretty kind of classic English English screenwriting, isn't it? <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, let's talk about comics some more. <laughs> uh, I'm curious about your background. You talk a little bit about it in the background of Blue, or in the back of Blue. Yeah. Um, yeah. you growing up in a small town, and comics weren't really readily available to you. But they still sunk in pretty early. Yeah, so so I grew up in a, a town of about I don't know maybe like twenty thousand people, and it was just like it's about at the time when the roads weren't as good as they are now. It was a, it was a solid eight hour drive to get to Sydney, and another you know, so, so and that was the nearest comic book store pretty much. So I I just had no like the whole. You know what we know as kind of comic book culture just wasn't even on the radar for me. Uh, yeah, I kind of knew it existed, but had no access to to that at all. So, and you know, you could buy whatever was on the newsstands, but that was really prohibitively expensive by the time it got to regional Australia. Like, and 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 there was no continuity as you would expect with newsstand comics. So, you could spend seven dollars on a X Men comic with a glittery cover and um. And never, never be able to get the, um, to get the following story. So it was just, it just was never, never worthwhile. So you never found out what happened to Wolverine's adamantium. 
No. <laughs> it was like it was like a um it was like just getting sort of like fragments of 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 the story and what what it meant actually was that I, I had a completely mis I had a huge misunderstanding as to what superhero comics were like I thought that I thought that there was like you know powerful narrative closure and like like really carefully crafted storylines but I don't think and I, I'm not quite sure that that's the case because when, when when I finally did dive into, you know, actually reading superhero comics, that it, it didn't seem like it didn't seem like what I what I had expected. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what I expected, but I guess I expected a, an author. Like I expected that there were, that there was like behind X Men, there was like a, a Tolkien character who was like who had a very firm, clear idea of. A vision of of what the world was and how the physics worked and the, you know, and that that there was some sort of like, like that the 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 kind of the world was fixed. Whereas actually, because there's not one author, there's like thousands to these superhero universes. You kind of, it's way more amorphous and and ever changing. So and that 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 kind of that kind of upset my um, teenage sensibilities once I realised that. I kind of, I kind of wanted a, a fixed universe, and now the DC just like completely restarted it. Are you reading that the the new Fifty Two? I have no, I haven't even, I haven't read a a, a superhero comic for ages. Um, no, I, I, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm vaguely interested in in what's what's going to happen in terms of like just the writing of mythology, but. Um, I'm not actually consuming it. So, tell me about the town you grew up in. It's like a small surfing town, a small farming okay. town. Basically, it was like 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 the towns on the east coast of Australia. They started out of the, as these little sort of uh, um, holiday towns made out of like really crappy homemade fibro shacks, and then, oh, you know, as time has gone on, they've sort of like become these bloated sort of coastal suburbia um, suburban landscapes so yeah that's and I, I kind of grew up in the in the suburban part rather than the <laughs> fibro shack part but um so yeah we we would basically I just grew up in you know any t any town suburbia and but but we if we got on our bikes we could ride to ride to the beach and that was the only thing to do there's the only real public space so did yeah. you want to get out of there or uh, kind of, I, 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 you know, <laughs> <laughs> you're still there. Parents were always always keen on um, on on us traveling, and so even from a very young age, we always knew that we'd be we'd be out of the country as soon as we were old enough. So yeah, that's that's what happened. I moved moved to Holland. <laughs> I moved to a, a a town in 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 southern Holland that was even smaller than the town I grew up in, which was a huge. Challenge. <laughs> How old were you? Uh, like uh, I don't know, eighteen. Yeah, just uh, just just out of high school. Was it just like I'm just gonna go to the complete opposite of the globe, or was there like school I, there? Or I thought I was going to like to see the world and and experience some sort of European sophistication. Um, and I went with my best friend who had family connections in this particular part of Holland. So we went there, and um, 
we we rented a house and we, and I worked in a a sawmill in for for five months and it was <laughs> it was miserable. Uh, it was just like yeah, this kind of like this tiny little farming village. Um, and I and I worked in the sawmill and got drunk on the weekends and and I, it was completely different to sort of the world that I expected I would see. But of course after that I I saved my money and got on the got on the train and you know went 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 around Europe for for the rest of the rest of the year. Now were you drawing at this point or had this something yeah. coming later? Drawing. Um, I stopped drawing, buddy, after high school. I think. I think I just, I, I, I'd studied art, and I'm not sure that my high school had the, the very, very inspired teachers in terms of the humanities. So I, I, I just, I didn't. I felt like I was interested in art and like drawing and writing, but I, I'd never, I never got much encouragement from school, and so, and then when school finished, I just stopped, and that was it. <laughs> And so, yeah, and so I, I mustn't have drawn for maybe five years there, and that was a pretty formative time, like late teens, early twenties. That's like when, when most of the great cartoonists I know really like honed their shit. I, uh, I was like, I didn't draw at all, but I, I, I was always writing. That was the thing. I was always interested in storytelling, just not, not drawing. I like to remind people that. Uh... Spain didn't start making comics till he was 27. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so what what really drove you into wanting to, to make comics? Because I kind of feel like when you got into comics, you got in just, like, deep. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of... That's, that's my personality, I think. I, um, I, 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 I commit... I overcommit... To whatever I'm interested in at the time. Uh, so what happened? I while I while I was traveling, I I, I realized that I was really interested in, in writing. So I uh, started reading all these stupid books that people read when they when they're interested in writing. Like, but the sort of books you read to better yourself instead of the sort of books you actually want to read. And then I and then I came back and I went to. Uh, university and and did the same thing. Just I, I did a creative writing course and cultural studies, and um, and because I was back in class, that's when I started drawing again. So I I, I had all these ambitions to be some sort of serious uh, literary writer, and but I was drawing like awesome cock drawings on my um on my notes um, while I was in in lectures and stuff, and so. All the scribbles that I was doing in the lectures ended up being far more interesting to publishers than than my awful turgid short stories. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess uh, slowly over over the course of this university degree, I I, I stopped writing prose and started writing um, and started like started cartooning and and then and then at that point I, I really started to investigate comics and that's when you know I got I got in deep as you say one thing that really stri- strikes me about some of your writing is you're really interested in and this is kind of your afterward writing not the the comics writing as much is kind of understanding the tradition um 
you're working in within comics and kind of what the linkages are and how you're connecting mm. with the work of other folks. And that's something I kind of like was kind of thinking more theoretically about after taking a course in university on um, kind of narrative traditions of biblical mm. and classical literature and seeing how it goes from there. Yeah, um, and I'm wondering if that's kind of a similar experience for you. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I've definitely picked that that interest up in in your own in, in your work. Sort of like that's definitely one of the things you like to talk about. Um, for me, yeah, and and the same for me. Like the, there's that kind of like incredible moment when you realise that sort of uh, you know all this genre stuff that we're that that we kind of like we're tricked into thinking is new is actually sort of like an end point for a 10,000 year old kind of like heroic storytelling tradition you know that's this kind of huge moment of revelation when you realize that and you kind of go back to you know you, you go back to sort of Kirby and you look at it thinking about the you know heroic all the sort of heroic influences sort of heroic storytelling that influenced him and you know and it's kind of it, it just seems obvious then so yeah and, and so I, what I I tried to do in that essay was um Basically, sort of, you know, in, invent a little history, a little history of, of sort of like a side history of, of comics that was really specific to Australia and particularly my, my cultural experience. And, and, you know, and as a way of sort of preserving that, that stuff. So I'm really, I, my big influences as I grew up were Australian surf comics because they were the only vaguely alternative comics that, that I had access to and they were kind of printed in the surfing magazines that, that I read with my friends and, uh, and so I kind of like, like I, I'm, I'm interested in, in looking at, at surfing comics as a storytelling tradition and instead of just sort of a, a, a strange outlier of, of kind of underground comics or you know alternative comics or something like that so tell us a little bit about some of the australian guys you had looked at in particular it's pretty fascinating so the one that that really um got me when i was a teenager was this this artist called mark sutherland and he was a he was a an animator who um who did who did these dreamy kind of druggy psychedelic animations and then from that got involved with the the surf magazines and he invented this character called Gonad Man and Gonad Man is it's like it's fairly shoddily drawn but it's like this kind of really grotty blokey sort of uh sort of surf humor and it really fits in with that the tone of like a lot of the a lot of the underground comics that that I've, I saw later in life, but yeah, but it really struck a chord with me, and um, and so they worked on that for a long time, and so something like six years, and it was really successful. Like it was, it was it was hugely influential on on a lot of a lot of people my age, but what happened was he he just got burned out on it. I think just you know the market in Australia is so small, and there was just not enough money in it and he just kind of he just he just fried himself and then stopped doing it but he started doing it again actually but yeah but it's not printed anywhere it's just it's just an online thing 
And there's another one. Is it Terry Edwards or something? And so, and so, after investigating all this, like I had heard this name, I, I kind of investigated like Australian surf comics a little bit, and I had heard this name, Captain Good Vibes, and all the only people who 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 it sort of rung a bell with was were, were these really old surfy hippies, and so I I kind of like looked into that and and out came these this incredible sort of large format black and white uh, underground kind of comic style surf comic and it's like the most it's one of the most incredible kind of like examples of psychedelic cartooning that that I, I've ever seen and it really fits in with the it really fits in with that kind of like Rick Griffin uh, Victor Moscoso school of like like sort of Californian psychedelic surf art and, uh, yeah and Tony was Tony was just this uh, this guy he, he wasn't a surfer but he grew up on the northern beaches of Sydney which is a real kind of like like arty scene in the in the 70s and he uh, and he was an architectural draftsman so he had, he had all these incredible um, incredible chops with with the rapidograph and and he had all this sort of this really detailed sense of uh, architecture and then he kind of like he got some work with this amazing sort of uh, broadsheet surfing magazine that was printed on newsprint called Tracts, and and he invented this kind of like drug drug consuming surfing pig called Captain Good Vibes, and that um, and that was like like popular in a way that comics would never be popular in Australia since. Like I think the 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 comic was pretty big as it was printed in tracks, but then he reprinted them in these incredible sort of large format newsprint sort of comic books, and they sold, you know, forty thousand, you know, forty fifty thousand or something like that. I'm not exactly sure of the details. Maybe it was thirty thousand, but it was, uh, it, it you know, it was that sort of sales with in, with any kind of publication in Australia is would be huge now. <laughs> So yeah, it was it was pretty it was pretty important I think for the Australian kind of counterculture. Now, how do you see yourself kind of fitting in after this work? I don't know, you know, like it's it, there's an element of bullshit <laughs> when you sort of set up a, a an artistic tradition and then position yourself in it. And I hope I was clear enough about that in 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 the writing of the essay like it's you know <laughs> well i mean it's it, i mean the, the, yeah. there's a balance of saying you know i'm the next jack kirby and saying you know this is the work that's feeding into what i'm making and that's 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 kind of what what I, what i'm trying to say and and like hopefully hopefully it's not a statement of my own my own artistic merit but but my own like like the the sort of comics that spoke to me when i was a teenager but also Speak to me now more than more than any other comics. So yeah, I I I definitely feel like that that there's a big feeder in my in in the way I kind of tell stories, particularly like just in terms of imagery. Like there's a bit in the essay where I talk about how kind of like like comic books are of are, are most often sort of built upon a particular kind of image fetish, like you know, hot women or you know, Day of the Dead skeletons or, you know, I don't know, zombies or, or so, some sort of thing that somebody really loves to make, to, to, to make images of. And, um, and, and for me that like, 
I just really love drawing coastal landscapes and um, and uh, the ocean, like breaking waves, and I, an idealized kind of fetishized kind of breaking wave, which is a real, you know, it's it's one of the one of the central parts of like like a surf a surf culture. It's like this the this sort of the image of 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 an ideal wave. Yeah. So that that that's just kind of like one of the th- one of the kind of recurring recurring images in in my work and that definitely comes from from this the, these weird surf comics that I that I read when I was a little little kid. Um I'm just going to remind folks I'm talking to Pat Grant we're talking about his uh first big book um Blue from uh co-published with Top Shelf now, from what I understand, this book kind of came out of a uh, residency—not a residency program, but a art comic art program you had taken part in in Florida. Am I correct in that? Ish, ish. So basically, uh, no. I I I had um I'd I had started the project probably two years before that that residency like or the the project had kind of been at, at some level you know I'd been doing some sort of writing or something like that um and and for years before that too I'd been thinking about um the uncomfortable politics that, that I deal with in the book because it's a real issue in Australia at the moment but we'll go into that later but um but the residency the residency came at, at this really important time which was the um which is when I'd just finished penciling the, the story. I, I, I was, I'd, I'd spent this really awful year just alone in my studio with a lead pencil trying to pencil the whole thing from start to finish. So it was, it was probably the steepest learning curve in my life, not just learning comics, but, but learning how to do a really long piece. But I was le- doing all this learning, but I wasn't seeing any finished pages. So it was really like, <laughs> it was really horrible. Um, and I, I, I'd kind of been giving Grant money and I felt like I'd put all this pressure on myself to like make sure the project was killer but I didn't see at that at, during that first year I, I didn't really see or believe that it was it was ever going to kind of be finished I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel but and then and then I, I got accepted to do this residency and it was at the Atlantic Center for the Arts in Florida and the they have all, all these associate artists, which are you know just just cartoonists, so int- sort of like emerging cartoonists, and, and then they have master artists there. And the master artists were Craig Thompson, Paul Pope, and Svetlana Chmakova. Svetlana's like a um, Toronto-based manga artist, and you, you guys you know who Paul and Craig are, obviously. I I know both gentlemen. That's right. <laughs> so. Uh, that was just like, for me, you know, it was perfect. To, so we jumped on a plane, flew, flew across, the, flew across the Pacific, and sort of turned up, and um, and I got to kind of present this this book, which was which had just been sort of penciled. So enough of it was there for the for for the the crew there to actually get a really good sense of. But I could still change a lot if if need be, and also um. It really, it, I, I wanted the book to be a kind of um, an international book, even though it's such an Australian book. And so it was really great to see how, a, like, an American and a, like an an international audience 
sort of received it, but because it got sort of critiqued at the at the residency, and that was awesome. That you know that, that really that I came back from that residency just like uh, really psyched and really uh, really ready to sort of sit down for another seven eight months and and ink the bastard of a thing. <laughs> so learning. I don't know if I want to say learning there, but like the experience of um, kind of working and critiquing from Paul Pope and Craig mm -hmm. and Svetlana. Um, I'm just saying you work mostly with Craig, right? So there were three different groups. There was like a uh, there was there was like a, a Svet's group, Paul's group, and Craig's group. I was I was with Craig. Yeah, we were all. But the the focus of the the three different groups is really different. Craig's Craig's was really about long form, long form storytelling, and um and kind of workshopping projects at the level at the the, the thumbnail stage. In Craig's group, you also had some other cartoonists, right? Like uh, I think Sam Alden was he with you guys? And, and T. Boat who's from uh, the Bay Area. Um, Jed McGowan from California. I've read these. She gave me her comic about immigration. That was really good. Yeah, yeah. She's good. That that book's going to be great when it's done. I'm really looking forward to it. It's, it's yeah, it's cool. And I'm yeah, I, like we stayed with her when we were in um in Oakland. Oh, okay. That, or is, maybe she lives in Berkeley. Yeah, I think she lives in Berkeley. Anyway, and yeah. So it was cool to it's cool to see see her family and, and meet her mum kind of made it you know like there's a personal aspect to the to the story and uh, who else is there there's Dave Kirsch who you've interviewed before oh yeah yeah he's great yeah and uh, Jake Wyatt out of uh, Provo Utah um, he's amazing too he's working on a vertigo thing at the moment um, then there was a, a uh, an Italian woman called Cecilia Latella, I think. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, and she she's doing some really interesting stuff. She does kind of like awesome fantasy romance. And uh, Sarah Joan Mokhtar is a Malaysian kind of cartoonist with like a heavy manga influence. So yeah, it was a really it was a really cool workshop group. I'm just going to make sure I haven't missed anyone. <laughs> It's it's interesting though, like it seems like you spent like what a week there was three it? three, three weeks. weeks oh okay but it seems like it really was a tight group well, that came out of that the thing is when you're a grown up you don't actually get to go to go on camp that often you don't you don't actually get to spend even even like forty eight hours with 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 other grown ups where, where you don't actually have other responsibilities or other things. To do so, to actually have three weeks to kind of, to kind of like spend with with people in this in the middle of this sort of like patch of bush in Florida, it was kind of a, it was kind of amazing. Like like the the friendships that develop, even though it's such a short time, they they feel like they've been they're sort of like lifelong friendships. I think, and that and that's for me the most important thing that comes out of a residency like that, like like relationships with other artists. Yeah, and and so yeah, it was it was amazing too to come back to the states this this year and and visit people and stay with them, and yeah, it, it's it was it was excellent. And 
I think that there's another one happening really soon at the at the Atlantic Center for the Arts with uh, Dean Haspiel, I think. Oh, okay, yeah, I think I read about it, but I can't remember. Jo- not sure. Um, and yeah, and that's uh, yeah, some some other Australians that we know are going to that as well. So that's kind of cool. There's a. <laughs> <laughs> It seems like comics community is really important to you because, like, I remember once you sent me this big package of Australian comics. Oh, right. Yeah, I did, didn't I? Yeah. yeah. There's, there's not much else. Just <laughs> <laughs> down here, there's not like a, you know, like, there's not like a, an industry. So if there's not community, then you, you're just working all alone. Hello? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Sorry. <laughs> I just, quality of the sound changed and I felt like I was talking to a brick um, nope. <laughs> yeah. some people may feel that way so in Australia like you know the 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 market the market for selling books is, is so tiny that you know the, they're always going to be like zini kind of self-published projects and and so and and the the geographical um, challenges are astounding if you want to get your if you want to get your projects off out of Australia like the the example I like to use is that if I if I want to get a copy of blue to a friend of mine who lives in in Europe it is it is it, it's way cheaper for me to buy it myself on book depository and have it shipped to them than it is for me to send one of the copies that I have in my bedroom to them just via the post. So just like that sort of thing makes it kind of impossible to to kind of like actually ha- actually have these, you know, large scale publishing projects. So, you know, the community building is, is really the heart of the, the the heart of Australian comics rather than than sort of big publishing big publishing sort of projects. How does yeah. book depository even stay going? It's amazing. That's just just volume, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry for the the sideways thing. It's just they do free worldwide shipping. I'm not advertising. Um... Yeah. So so, but but I mean, like that that kind of that the when you when you're when you're sort of like on the other side of the world from from the 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 big mass of English speakers, it's it's pretty it's pretty hard to 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 get a project kind of like to to even just pay for itself. So so yeah. We do things in Australia like like make it make a real effort to get together regularly and um and we do a lot of sort of mail projects as well to keep to just kind of kind of keep the ball rolling, I think. In your um I was looking at your blog and you kind of do a rundown of just how much it costs. Oh yeah, yeah. That was it, that was cool um thing to do i think a lot of people have have been um really interested in in that like actually because there's such a a mystique around publishing like people think that if if a book is in a bookstore then someone's you know someone's making all this cash from it (laughs) and 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 people don't necessarily talk so much about the, the money side of things for whatever reason so like to actually like present a, a project budget <laughs> uh, with sort of like ideal scenarios and you know nightmare scenarios and see what's actually at stake financially is 
I, I think is is really interesting. So that's what I did on my blog. I, I published the project budget for for Blue, and well, I can't remember. I haven't, can't remember what the numbers are, but I I think it cost it cost me. I put up about fifteen grand um, of my own money to 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 get the project happening, and I I think. I believe I'm almost, I'm I'm almost square, sort of. So cause it's been it's been pretty successful. So I'm like the first print run is sold out. So I think I've um, I think I'm back to back to a, a break even project. Now the partnership with Top Shelf wasn't them specifically, maybe publishing it, but taking yeah. on a, a part a of the publishing the, the distro. It's it's kind of a it's it's kind of weird. So basically, what happened? I had I had the project done, or almost done, and I had um and I knew I had the money to self-publish it. So in my mind, it was gonna happen. It was gonna be published in 2012, no matter no matter who else was involved. So that was like that was kind of like the way I kept sane because you'd, I'd never finish anything if I if I had no. If I had no kind of like end point for it, especially when I'm drawing comics, because drawing comics is so fucking horrible. Um, <laughs> so, so what happened? Uh, I finished, and then I, I just I, I sent a few things around. Uh, I had a, a a friend who's a great cartoonist called um, Kaylin Kent who handed some stuff around at, at Mocha in 2011, and uh, basically I said, Here, "Here's the plan." probably going to be self-published but you know if you're interested in publishing it that'd be great but if you just want to do a distro thing that'd be great too and uh yeah chris chris at top shelf got back to me and so but what happened was i i put i published it i did all the design i um like i kind of made most of the book happen and then um when it got printed in singapore and they and a couple of thousand of them just got shipped to the dime to um, to top shelf, like, and they did all the distro, mm -hmm. and they slice and um, and and then just kind of kick the 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 rest of the mo sort of royalty money back to me. So yeah, that that's kind of like the the way it happened. And then it, like and so that that was cool. That 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 worked well. And then I'd already sent it off to get to be printed, um, and I was thinking that I, I'd have like a I'd end up with a pallet of books under my bed and no no way no way to sell them because I hadn't really thought that much about Australian distribution. So then I just started hassling Australian literary publishers to see if they were keen and I I had a a publisher called Giramondo um show some interest and and they did distro in Australia. So in the end I I, I didn't even I didn't have to do any distribution which was incredible because you know because you've done a book but distribution's like even worse than cartooning <laughs> <laughs> thankfully uh, I had no part in that end of any of it I just uh, did a lot of editing and then handed off to my publisher who took care the, of all that books under your bed become a become a real burden if, if, if you if you kind of lose steam on the project and you don't just you don't have the energy to get them out out of your life they kind of stay there and they're sort of they become a, a symbol of your own your own sort of failure. <laughs> wow. But, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were my books under his bed right now. <laughs> yeah. So, so 
and it works pretty well because and I, I did a lot of the marketing stuff too so I, I kind of like you know did a did a daggy little sort of comic art press release and that got ping ponged around the internet a bit and and so and then I, you know I organized all the launches in Australia and, and also a bit of the you know we organized the tour in America ourselves ourselves as well so um, it really it, to me it just felt, it felt exactly like making a mini comic like it did it, 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 the only difference is that the the numbers involved had an extra two zeros on the end so <laughs> yeah. the process was it was way slower but yeah it felt it really felt like a like it's just a big fat zine to me. Now, the book itself, why don't we kind of jump into the content of it? Um, you kind of alluded earlier that uh, you're kind of covering particular issues of kind of importance or important to you in mm-hmm. Australia right now. Yeah, so, yeah, like, like I, I guess we'll just tell the audience what the book's about. It's kind of like a... Um, it's like a coming of age story about these kids growing up in a weird coastal town, and um, and they skip school to go surfing, and then there's there's at the same time there's these strange blue-skinned creatures with weird tentacles that are sort of arriving on the shore, and uh, and so yeah, the the it's kind of like like. The only way I really know how to describe it succinctly is to say it's kind of like it's got it's got like a, a similar metaphor to District Nine, but then the it's a bit like sort of Stand by Me in, in the way the story sort of pans out. It just ends up being some kids following following a train line. God, that's a terrible description. <laughs> Do it. You, you never get any good at this this stuff. Okay, so. The, the the idea for the for the project really kind of kind of came when there was this um there was this big race riot at, on on a beach in southern Sydney called Cronulla, and and this was like a this a huge huge media event in Australia, and it was a re- this big source of um of national shame and national debate. And meanwhile, another another sort of like stream of national discourse that's going on is um is a really like heated immigration debate that is kind of like not unlike the one that's kind of like ever present in the United States. It's kind of like a um it's like a cultural paranoia that there's, you know <laughs> that there's bar- barbarians sort of invading our, our our national borders and perforating idea you know, the idea of what it is to be American or Australian. You and, mean um, the colonial countries, um, which already yeah. have indigenous populations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a, it's, it's, it's hugely, it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a really kind of messy, kind of complex, complex political discussion. That you know, and there really are no, <laughs> there really are not, no easy answers. And so, so Australians have a, this huge paranoia about this thing called boat people. We have like, oh, like like thousands and thousands of uh like illegal immigrants arrive by plane, many of them sort of British backpackers or, you know, moneyed travelers or whatever. Um and then there's this this incredibly, incredibly tiny little trickle of uh 
of immigrants that arrive undocumented um, on crappy old shoddy sort of um, people smuggling boats. And so, and every time one arrives, it's this huge media shit fight. And, and, and for some reason, it's kind of like, it sort of like seems to strike the heart of us. That it seems to strike terror into the heart of like Australians that, that our borders are being kind of invaded by brown people. And so, it, it, yeah, anyway, what, um, and so I kind of like tried to, I'd been thinking about this stuff a lot because uh, by pure accident, I was, I was at this, this strange race riot on an Australian beach. I'd been at a, a, a punk DIY festival in, in the city south of Sydney um, trying, to, trying to sell some comics. And um, on the way back, we stopped for a swim at this beach and the, there was a, and we kind of like got sort of, we, we got a, a, a sort of a, a personal insight into what went on. Um, and so, yeah, so then I spent a lot of time thinking about, about race politics in Australia, but not, not in, but my thinking seemed to be really different from the, the national debate because, because I, I had this kind of like, one, I had sort of a personal experience of this, this race riot, which was central to the debate, but also I had a, um, I, I had experience of growing up by the beach and, um, and, and I was living by the beach at the time. And so I, I kind of, uh, I started writing about, um, about this, this kind of like this idea of the Australian beach as a national frontier, but also as a sort of a, a place where we um, where we develop our national identity. And from that, uh, I kind of I did a, a big university project based around that. And then two years later, I started writing Blue, which was kind of like a story that encapsulated all this all this sort of thinking I'd been doing. God, it sounds so unwieldy, doesn't it? <laughs> It's well. I mean, it's it's messy. It's a it's a really troubling book, and I and I you know I I um I I don't know any way to write about about all this really uncomfortable stuff in a way that is reassuring, and that's one been one of the big the big sort of uh, the big critiques of 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 the book is that you know it doesn't present any answers. All it does is make people feel uncomfortable. Yeah, and that's kind of essentially how you feel. Exactly. Yeah, you know, like I, I feel. Yeah, when, when I'm thinking about it, it makes me feel so squirmy that I, 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 I'm at the point now where I have to stop. I, I'm, I, I actually have a, a thumbnail draft. It's about, I think it's 110 pages of of a of a second volume that was supposed to be, um, set in Bolton, which is the town that the book that the story of of Blue is set in, um. But I just, I just, I just can't, <laughs> I just can't think about this stuff anymore. It's, it's too awful. Yeah. So, so I, I'm, not, I'm never going to draw that. <laughs> so you're kind of finding yourself in this like, kind of right-turning, political landscape. Yeah, especially in surf culture, because surf culture was so like, like it, it was such a sort of like middle-class hippie sport. It was like the 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 psychedelic escapist sport, you know, it was a real counterculture movement that was connected with surfing in Australia, as in California, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, but now, you know, it's a re- it's a really it's just like any other you know sport in Australia now. It's just like conservative and 
you know, you're more, well, you're way more likely to see sort of um, trade trade vehicles down at the down at the the surf spots in where I live than you are seeing a, you know, a combi van. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that, that there's definitely that, and that's definitely part of the um, part of the kind of thematic content of blue is like this sort of the, the surfer as ugly conservative bigot rather than surfer as this soulful kind of like character which is you know really really a, a, a bullshit sort of cliche that that appeals to non-surfers <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh uh, that's that, that's kind of like one of the one of the things um and and the other thing is just sort of like like trying to trying to write about um, trying to write about all this kind of uncomfortable current stuff, uh, political stuff, but but also to to incorporate like to incorporate it into the storytelling tradition that we spoke about earlier. To kind of to still have it, it's it's really critiquing like like Australian coastal culture, but to to have the book be be in in a language that's come from the Australian coast too was really important to me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that was like um, the local vernacular. Yeah, well that that's a huge part of that's a huge part of the book, and that's actually the thing I'm most proud of. Actually, the 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 sound of of the comic book because these these horrible spotty little children they just talk in in <laughs> in a in a dialect that comes from east coast of Australia in the in the mid nineties. And um and the sound of it is is a really important um, tool for for creating a sense of of place, I think. Yeah, it's it, it's completely meaningless. Some of it. There's this whole like conversations where nothing <laughs> nothing interesting is actually said. So interesting stuff may be going on, but whatever all the stuff coming out of the kid's mouth is just horrible, horrible like local parochial gibberish. Now, the other big thing you're working on, or the thing you're working on, is your PhD, um, yeah. and I'm really curious about that. If we can kind of finish maybe with that, it's kind of what what is the work you're researching, and what do you kind of want to see? There's this idea that you're putting out there as your um, your well doctorate. Work. Doctorate. Oh God. Doctor so, Pat. Yeah, Dr. Pat. I'm going to buy a pouch of that. Do you have that tobacco over there? Is there a Dr. Pat brand tobacco? In, I have in... no idea. I didn't know that existed. Well, you can get it here. And I'm going to buy a pouch of it and smoke one on the day I graduate. Um, so, the thing to know about me, Robin, is that I'm a bit, I'm a bit of a, um, I'm a bit of a scammer. <laughs> And I, I'm, I, I do spend a lot of time trying to, trying to get my projects paid for before I start them. Um, and that definitely happened with Blue. I, I, I had, I'd written it, but I, I applied for various, various government grants and different, um, different streams of funding before I actually sat down to draw it. Um, you know, for better or for worse, that's just part of my part of my art practice my, mainly because I don't I don't draw for fun <laughs> I, yeah I really don't I really don't sort of like enjoy drawing comics even though I enjoy having drawn a comic um, 
so so part of my um, part of my art scam to get blue off the ground was to apply to do a PhD and um and to apply for a scholarship to do that PhD and um and I pitched the the doctorate as a a practice based research project <laughs> and it sounds dodgy but there actually is some some actual like a solid theoretical found, sort of foundation behind it I, i'm i'm really interested in in kind of reading comics criticism and comics studies in general but i'm pretty disappointed in most of it mm-hmm. that i that i've read and i'm kind of i've, I've read a lot now there and, yeah it's i I'm sure you heard the show where we kind of discussed that, and it's—I don't think they quite know where to put it yet. And it's—it's—and that's okay, you know. It's like it's—it's really is a a a sort of a a discourse in its infancy. Like it's a—it's a really new form of um, a new academic field. But nobody's writing about making comics. That and and that was that was kind of my rationale going into the into the doctorate like it, I, I the, the general kind of trend is to is to write about comic as this sort of fixed finished text that needs to be decoded and and the academic's job is to is to decode the comic and and tell the audience what what it means and i just think i just i don't like that for a lot of different reasons well tell the tell the audience what it means through that person's particular lens yeah yeah um, and so, yeah, I, I, and so I, I thought what we actually need to bring into comic studies is, uh, uh, an understanding of, of how comics are made, this kind of private little practice that happens in, in art caves, you know, all over the world, but is not necessarily talked about by non-cartoonists. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and that's, you know, that's actually... That's actually really important. It would be like it would be like talking about fine art without <laughs> talking about like painting. Just 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 talking about it on a sort of a sort of visual language level. It's it's not it's it's not all that's going on there. So my so basically the the PhD project is a graphic novel and then a a forty thousand word exegesis describing uh, sort of like talking about the the way that novel that that book was produced and and trying to incorporate um concerns of process into the in into the like in, into the sort of critical discussion of comics yeah does like that make that. sense yeah makes yeah. complete sense to me yeah and so it's going it's going okay i mean i mean like i've done the i i spent 2 years just just working on the comic and and now i'm sort of in the the last six months of um, of the doctorate, and I'm sitting down every morning and trying to smash out 500 words of the of the thesis, trying to get it done. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> I'm on track, but it's 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 another. I'm I'm actually getting that feeling I got when I was drawing blue and. I still can't. I still have no sense of of the light at the end of the tunnel. Just kind of got my head down and I'm forging ahead. I don't miss writing academically at all. I'm yeah. sure you've noticed by how much I write on the website. <laughs> so I have a question for you, actually. I like I I I was I was wondering what you thought of uh, 
sort of blue. I liked it. Yeah? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Did I uh there's some good conceptual ideas in there. Yeah. I I, I haven't had enough criticism about it actually. That that's one of the things. Like I feel like the reviews are um the the reviews are either positive or or non-existent and I I don't know. I feel like it needs um it, it, there are so many huge problems with the book. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, I'm really interested in sort of opening up some sort of discussion space where it, it can be kind of criticized productively. You mean kind of like how I do the uh, the roundtables? Yeah, see that I love you know I I really love those and the the discussion is is always always hearty. Yeah, and ne- never like fanish, which is super super important yeah that's that's very important to us that's why we kind of come up a list in advance that's kind of certain work certain work we're not going to discuss because I think like I don't know how much we can get in there like I don't think we discuss time A's um, love and rockets because it's like how can we do a really good critical analysis on this that we all love mm. yeah totally yeah, so sort of steer clear of the the ones that you, you you're worried you might gush over. Well, the obvious, like I don't I don't want to do discuss say a Chris Ware project because there's also going to be tons of writing on it. Um, yeah. And I don't think I I don't definitely the guests are able to speak quite well to, but I don't know if I can quite speak as well to the nuances within a lot of the work. Mm. But uh, then. You- about something like color engineering, which I bought after listening to that. Actually, that was a cool, you know, that was a really cool discussion. I don't think I would have appreciated that. that yeah, about the discussion around it. That's what I like like to have. It's just like we talk about something that um, isn't isn't necessarily obvious. Mm. So yeah, it's fun. Thank you. <laughs> um, and and you know, part of the part of the the, the PhD sort of like process for me is like research but if you if you're spending two years drawing a comic you, you, you can't really get that much reading done so for me doing the research involved like listening through like really thoroughly through all the archives of of, of all these recorded interviews that are that are around and ink studs is probably the one of the big ones so I've listened to lots of your shows lots of panthers Three times over, yeah. Lots of claptrap, yeah. And I do, I do like them all for their own, for their own different ways. And it's, it's really cool when if you can listen to three interviews with, you know, someone like Dylan Horrocks on claptrap and on ink studs and then on, on panthers, like that's that's, that's kind of like a a really good cross section of, of discussion and, and you know. Yeah, that 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 would do as as good a job as as an entire book on 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 an artist. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's kind of cool. Well, yeah, we're all coming from completely different yeah. backgrounds and interests. I mean, those guys are all cartoonists. I'm not a cartoonist, and right away yeah. that's how we will have a different discussion. When are you, when are you and um, Tien going to get on on the radio together? <laughs> I actually saw him at uh, Ape One Year, and uh, oh, I think I frightened him. <laughs> really? No, he's fine. Why don't you get 
Dawson to do like to interview you both together. That would be sick. Uh, I think I'll probably have Tien on by himself. Um, yeah, I think Mike's got his own thing going. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Mike. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, I I really want to build these feuds. I like the idea of there being feuds between, uh, comics podcasts. (laughs) Because <laughs> there's like there's there's a handful of us. I mean, there's the new one that uh, Jim Rugg's doing with one of his friends. So oh, that's kind of. I think it's called "Tell Me Something I Don't Know," um, and he's had like really different divergent guests. So it's uh, I I think it's interesting to see where he's going with it. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm in, I'm gonna subscribe to that as soon as I hang up the computer. <laughs> Great. Uh, Going to help out the respectable competition. Thank you so much for joining me, Pat. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. It was um, honor to be on one of my favorite podcasts. Thanks so much. Uh, I really appreciate the kind words you've bestowed upon me. Underneath this clock at Central Station in my pocket A folded 20, it's all I got That and the photograph you sent me Standing underneath the Morton Bay Where we carved our initials But I'm standing underneath this clock I've got no bag inside a locker Last train out of Sydney I'll take that picture of you with me Just so I could read the words you scribbled on the back Gotta miss you Recognize me after everything I've been through I'll meet you on the other side Nothing in this world's gonna drag me away this time And we're pulling out of number four I'm standing looking out that door Or so would you mind to find your seat As we're rolling under Cleveland Street It's well and truly dark So we're pulling into Goulburn Country platforms smoking in his old felt hat worn down all around the brim. I'm not crying on account of him, it's just the words you scribbled on the back of this photograph from Holden. And there's a faint light on the overnight. Wonder if you'll recognize me after everything I've been through. I'll meet you on the other side. Nothing in this world's gonna drag me away this time. Sleep. Then I haven't slept all week The train is quiet across the border On the run from silver water And all those beautiful words Have got me gone crazy And I know I asked you not to write Now I'm on the overnight With my heart up in my throat All because of what you wrote On the back of this photograph It says I'm gonna have your baby
faint light on the overnight Wonder if I'll recognize you after everything you've been through I'll meet you on the other side Nothing in this world's gonna drag me away this time This time Will my heart skip a beat? I hope that nothing in this world's gonna drag me away this time 